Blog Talk Radio. Well, thank you. It has been a minute, and you have been one 
busy lady. Well, you know, you've got to keep busy if you don't want to be idle. That is true, and as we get older, if we don't stay busy, the first thing that goes, of course, is our bodies, and then our mind decides, well, if you're not going to use me, I'm just going to sit and stagnate, and I dare you to bother me. Am I correct? That is so true. You've got to stay active and mentally and physically. And ladies and gentlemen, I had forgotten, or maybe I didn't know because I don't remember talking about this before, and I told Elsie this before the show, but I want to—I want to say it publicly, because sometimes we, as as Americans who are are born into America, fail to appreciate that America, even with her flaws, even even with the divide the country has, even with what we're going through, America is still, to me, the best country in the world. Elsie. See, she didn't even let me finish, because she, she is a proud American, too. She is a patriot. She was born in Mexico, and she came to America, and she chose to be an American. She still embraces her heritage, which I give her great kudos for, because one doesn't lose one's history just because one embraces one's adopted country, but she loves Very America. True. Am I right, Elsie? You are absolutely right. I am so proud to be an American because it's something that I chose to do. And at the same time, I'd like to follow my Mexican traditions and, and uh, be proud of that, too. That's who I am. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. Nothing at all wrong with that. And and I am, for one, am honored and proud that you chose this country as your adopted home. I know you've been here a while, but welcome anyway. Thank you very much. I feel welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about you for a minute. Let's tell the folks how you came about your pen name because your your name is not the letter L and the letter C. It is something else, is it not? That is correct. Um so tell well, us the way that I became Okay, the Go way ahead. that I became that um I went from L C E L S I E, which is my real name, to L period C period, is that I used to write for a treasure magazine. These are magazines that were alive in the 1970s, and uh, there was like two treasure, treasure search, uh, finding treasures, you know, a whole bunch of them. And I wanted to write for them because out here in the Southwest, we have tons and tons of buried treasure or legends of buried treasure. So I thought it would be great if I could write an article, send it off to the magazine, and I would get my feet wet in the publishing business. Well, I sent out the first article, and it came back, and it said, Dear Elsie, E-L-S-I-E, thank you very much for um, submitting this article. We absolutely loved it, uh, but unfortunately, we just uh, assigned it to somebody else. So I said, oh, bologna, sausage, and tomatoes, and I decided I was going to go do something, uh, do another article. So I wrote an, a different article send it out, and it came back, and he said, Elsie, this is wonderful, but we have already given it to somebody else. And it just went on and on, on where every article that I sent was always being rejected. And I said, well, why are they rejecting it? So uh, my husband picked up a magazine, and he said, look at the byline. By John, by Steve, by Mike, by Harry, no Mary, no Susie, no Elsie. So this is the days before computers. I took the very first manuscript that they uh, rejected, put it back into the typewriter. The only change that I made was on the byline. Instead of by E-L-S-I-E, hate, I put by L, period, C, period, hate. And it was immediately accepted. And so was the second and the third and so on and so forth. They never knew that I was a, a female. Now, isn't that 
amazing is not even the right word. It's perception. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you've got to think, this is way back then. I mean, nowadays I could have, oh, you're discriminating and blah, 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 blah. But at that time it was like, oh, yes, this is how it's done. Yeah, I understand, you know. So I just found a way to get around the system. And and even today, Elsie, wouldn't wouldn't that statement also be true? We as independent authors, we have we have found a way to get around the notion that just because we don't go through a traditional publishing publishing house, or we're not one of the big six, or we're not this, or we're not that, that we are not good enough. Oh, that's very true. At the very beginning, if you were a self-published author, or a you're better known now, indie, um, you were down in the bottom. I mean, you were uh-huh. the scum of, of publishing. Now, if they're getting to be better, the people are looking more at you like, a, hey, you really are a writer, you know, type thing. And I think it's wonderful that we have come up in the world like that. And not only that, but we get to control our content, our covers, our own marketing. We have, as as indies, we have opportunities that traditional authors do not. And, and I think it's sad that traditional authors are handicapped in the fact that once they send that book in, it can be chopped all to pieces, and when it's it's sent to print, it's not anything at all what they wrote. That's true. And not only that, um, my very first book in the Harry Bronson series, Why Casey Had to Die, was published by a traditional publisher. And uh, it won um, with a finalist for the Agatha Award for Best Novel of the Year. And I said, whoa, you know, I'm going to get a lot of sales for this. A month after it was announced that I had, uh, I was on the top five for the Agatha Award, they decided to remainder the book which means that it was no longer going to be on sale. The reason for that is because a publishing company always keeps the book alive for one year. At the end of that year, it's remaindered. It's no longer going to be sold. So the book wasn't sold, even though it won that award. See, that's wrong. That is so wrong. And, and, I, and I would venture to guess, because I know what traditional houses pay, that you your royalties did not, per book, were not as pretty as they are as an indie author. That's true. Now, they did a hardcover. I mean, they did an absolutely beautiful job of a hardcover book, but they charged $25.95 per book. Now, can you imagine asking somebody, would you buy my book? It's only $25.95 as opposed to all these other books that are 2 3 4 $5. You know, exactly. so they were hard to sell. You know, you didn't and, and not only voice. that, but but that that dollar amount of twenty five bucks that pays that pays for the 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 cover that pays the publisher that pays the editor that pays the marketing firm that pays the warehouse the middleman the distributor, and by the time it gets to you, it's only like six or seven cents per book. Yep. I was, I would get, and I had a good contract with them too. I would have one of the best contracts at that time. And I would get 88 cents for each $25.95 book sale. However, out of that 88 cents, they would hold 10% back because of future returns from that book. So really, I was getting more like 40, 50 cents for each book that sold. After all the work that you put into it, and this is this is what we we try to educate people. I started out. I I published my first book in 2007, and I did it as as at that time as a self published author. There was a group of us. We sort of broke the ceiling because we refused to stand down. I guess I've been fighting all my life. We refused to stand down, and we refused to go away. And it, it opened the doorway for, for others out there. Well, good for you. I'm proud of you. Well, we need um, leaders like you. <laughs> I don't know. Some people wish I'd go away. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I just can't. It just won't let me. So let's 
let's talk a little bit about your journey. In your in your long bio, there is there is an incident that happened when you were in college, and you and I talked about this briefly before we went live with two term papers and two different professors. Tell the audience what happened, why it happened, and the end result. And we'll talk about, after that, then we'll we'll go into a little bit of detail about perception. Well, I had two term papers due. One professor was really, really hard professor. If you wrote the word D two times on the same page, she would bark you off like repetition, you know, kind of thing. And everybody was petrified. On top of that, it was like 25 pages, typewritten pages. And remember, this is before computers. So you had the typewritten pages, and you had the footnotes, and you had the bibliography, and you had the note cards, and uh, the thesis statement, and blah, 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 blah. You had the whole shebang. Well, I worked and worked and worked and worked on that one really hard because I was so afraid that I wasn't going to do it right. And... um, Finally, I finished, and I got really happy. I go, yay, I finished. And then I said, oh, my gosh, I have other term papers that I haven't even started. So I went to, um, I, took, I went to go get the, uh, to go start on the second paper. And I said, well, I better take my first term paper with me and just read it over so that I can make sure that uh, I got everything right. So I went to the library, and I read it. And I thought it was good. I put it to the side. I took everything out to start working on my second term paper. I worked on that second term paper. It was like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, gathered everything, went to bed. Uh, when I woke up, I said, oh, let me see if I made any sense last night. And while I was looking for my term paper, I noticed that the first term paper, the one from the real hard professor, I had left it at the library, everything. So I went back to the library, rushed in, and the whole thing is gone. And when I say everything, I meant note cards, bibliography cards, the outline, the paper, everything is gone. And in two days, I had to rewrite that term paper as well as I could, plus I could do, the, uh, plus I had to do the other term paper. Well, the couple of weeks later, we got our papers back. The one from the Real Heart Professor, he All he made was one comment, and he said, and you want to be a writer. Ha! And then he gave me a C. The other professor, on his term paper, he wrote, this is really good. If you take away all the footnotes and change it, you could have this paper published. And, in fact, that was the first thing that I ever did get published because I followed his advice, and I did exactly that. And I feel like taking that paper and going to the first professor and saying, and I want to be a uh, published hawk. <laughs> and, and like we talked about before we went live, it was all in the perception of the two receivers of the papers. The first professor had his own expectations that may or may not have been attainable, and maybe in his own mind he didn't feel as good about himself as he should have, so therefore he's going to make everybody else miserable too because misery loves company, whereas the second professor was an encourager. He definitely He let you know that this was a good paper, modify it, and submit it and see what happens. He gave you a Very choice. true. And he gave me encouragement because I felt so bad when I got that, uh, the C, and then that comment, you know. It, it really, um, I was really ready to give up if it had me for the second professor. And this is what happens many, many times with us in our lives. All it takes is is one teacher or one person that we put a lot of respect into and faith into and, and respect their 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 feedback to us to say something as as cold and cutting as that to utterly destroy someone's dream. Yes. 
But then on the flip That's side true. of that, all it takes is one kind statement, like the second professor did, to make you want to go out and set the world on fire. And sometimes people just don't listen to themselves and realize how their words can affect somebody. I mean, it can completely destroy a person. Words are yes. very powerful. They are indeed. And and not only are they powerful, but they also are things that history are made of. Very true. And if, if someone is told they can't, they won't. If yeah, you tell somebody is, off and off they can't, they definitely are going to say, yep, I can't. You're right, I can't. I, 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 I'm not able. I, I, I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not this enough. And, and Elsie, we lose so many gifted people because they get beaten down either in school or, or in a family life or with even their own peers. They get beaten down and don't have enough self-confidence to say, well, watch this. As we say in the South, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> because that, to, to us it's a dare. If somebody says, well, you can't do that, especially in my family, it's a dare. Oh, really? Tell me I can't. And, and That's for what you, you should do. I agree. And for you to do what you did and then to look at you now, if that professor's still alive, you ought to send him a letter and a book. <laughs> no, he he passed away, but I did want to send him one. <laughs> I, you should have. You should have sent him a book and said, okay, watch this. Just hold my beer and watch this. So mm-hmm. you also made another statement, and, and I agree wholeheartedly with it because as, as an author myself, I, I get it. And for people that want to write, they also need to understand this. And you say, writing is a lonely business. Explain that to our audience. Well, you need to do, to sit down and write. You cannot write in, you know, with people. You have to sit down by yourself, and the writing process is actually a lonely process. You sit there and you write. Yeah, the editing, the proofreading, all of that. Once you're ready to get that book out, that's where you go out and you actually contact people and get in touch with them and stuff. But the very beginning, uh, the coming up with the ideas and et cetera, I think it's, it's a lonely business. It's getting to be a lot better now with social media because what I'm doing is I am like writing the first chapter and I'm sitting there going, I don't think it's as good as my other books maybe it's kind of yucky and I put it on Facebook and I tell my my readers my fans I say hey could you all look at this and give me a feedback and it's wonderful the feedbacks that I get you know you're saying oh it's this and that and you know and I know what to do and what not to do and etc so um but even with all of that the bottom line you still have to do it by yourself and and don't you find that in the big picture, and, and because we are indie authors, in the big picture, the writing is the easy part. It is putting oneself out there and marketing oneself because we are the product. The book is just our byproduct. And putting ourselves out there with that little earworm in our ear going, but they're not going to like you. They're going to reject you, and you're just going to fall flat on your face. And, and you just have to tune that out and say, <laughs> it doesn't matter. If one person reads my book, okay. Yeah, you've got to develop a real thick skin if you want to succeed in this business. Yes, you do. You really, really do because people being people, and I always call them haters, and and the reason I call them haters is because they have dreams that they do not feel worthy enough to fulfill, so they want to take us all down into that pit of despair. I just say, well, bless your heart. I'll pray for you. 
Yep, there you go. <laughs> and that and that that brings me up to something else because then that's going to segue into something else. You you said something in your bio and and that you consider yourself a very religious person, and I'm going to change that a little bit with your permission and say that you are a person of deep faith because you say God is definite. You say that God is definitely my co-pilot, and then you say no, He is my pilot. Explain that to the folks that that are going. What is she talking about? He's my pilot. I'm in charge of my life. Well. You know, you are in charge of your life, but then God has to, there he has to be your focal center of attention. You have to let him lead you. You know, you are, he's not your co-pilot, he is your pilot. And then you, as the co-pilot, then you do what you need to do and you do everything but with God's help. And and he knows the big picture. Would that be a fair statement? He knows 10 years down the road. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. That's true. And what right now I may be sitting here going like, well, why did this happen? I mean, it's just horrible. And then 10 years from now, he's like, whoa, I'm really glad that happened because this and this and this and that. But at that time, we didn't know about it. But he did. But he did. So, w- he so would it be a fair statement because I am also a person of very deep faith with everything that has gone on in my life, without my faith in God and that he really has control over the universe, I'm just, as we used to say, a flea on an elephant's butt. I'm I'm not that significant in the big picture, but to God I am, and he sees my path that I don't see. And sometimes when he shuts a door, he's saying, stupid, I got this, just just go where I need for you to go, and it'll be all right. Amen to that. But remember, if he shuts the door, he also opens a window. He does, he does. And we're on that note, we're going to take a short break to promote um, another group of ladies, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about your angel books because – the, they are amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with my guest, the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful lady, author Elsie Hayden, and we will be right back. We would like to welcome back Yvonne Mason to the airwaves, which we affectionately call the Mama of Modern Lit. Now for our boring ad. Okay, so you guys are tired and nothing to dance about in 2020? Why not check out the 25 Hottest Authors, Artists, and Advocates magazine? Indie Authors, Artists, and Advocates, available on www.andwethought.com. You can also see what your ladies are up to. And their books, Literary Life Guides with Pop Poetry. A.K.A., yeah, our actual books. And audio books on www.andwethought.com. So, stay well and stay healthy out there, you guys. All right. Bye-bye. Those are my friends, Will, Nona, and Jade, and they are the authors And We Thought, and we call them the And And We Thought Ladies. Check them out at their website. And we are back. This is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with my guest, author Elsie Hayden. And we've been talking about so many things because she has been away from me too long, and we just had to catch up. But now we're going to get into the heart of the matter. Before we we talk about the Bronson books, let's talk about, since we've been talking about faith and and the fact that God knows things that we don't know, let's talk about your angel series, why you wrote them, what message you hope to put out there, and what you want people to take from it. I want people to realize that we are never alone. Even when we feel all alone, there's always someone out there watching for us. When I was little, I was in the second, maybe third grade, and my mom had given me a coin purse. And um, first of all, my mom was abusive to me. I grew up in an abusive home. And it was more of a physical, uh, I mean, a mental abuse more than, than anything else. But anyway, she gave me this coin purse, 
And she told me that I was worthless, that I was going to lose it, that I was, um, she was just furious that I would have this purse. But I took it to school and I showed it off to everybody because I was so proud of this little coin purse. And sure enough, during a math class, I reached into my pocket to feel my little coin purse and it was gone. I could not find it. I looked at the floor beside my desk uh, while the teacher was still doing her presentation. I was looking all down, up and down the aisles. I looked everywhere. I could not find it. Um, finally, the teacher gave us time to do our work, and I walked back to where we hung our coats, and I looked through my coat pockets, and they're there. I moved all the coats around, looked on the floor. Um, I asked her if I could go to the bathroom, but instead I went outside and walked all around to see if I could find my coin purse. It was nowhere to be found. I went back to my desk, just dreading to face my mom, and um, right there underneath my desk, there was a piece of uh, folded piece of paper, and uh, it had a whole bunch of letters. And I mean, the letters didn't make any sense at all. It was like L U T C, etc., etc. You know, uh, it went on and on, on like that. But when I looked at those letters, it was like I was reading the code, and it said, "Look under the coats in the back of the room," and I said. I already looked there, and why would I want to go back and look? But there was this note that hadn't been there before. So I went back to the back of the room, moved the coats, and sure enough, there was my coin purse in a place where I know I had looked for it before, and it wasn't there. Now, being a little kid at that time, I've lost the coin purse, and I've lost the note, and I wish now that I had kept both of them. Because that was my beginning to experiencing and knowing that we're never, ever really alone. And that's what inspired you to write the three books, Angels and Miracles Abound, Angels Around Us, and When Angels Touch You. Let's and then talk about... Just... Oh, no, finish what you were going to say. Um, I just released a fourth book in the series, which is a talk of an angel's wing, and that also follows the tradition of the angel's books. Let, let's talk about Brush of an Angel's Wing. Tell me what that is about and what made you write it. The reason that I wrote it is because, like I said, I want people to know that Strange things happen, unusual things happen, uh, miracles can happen. We just have to open our heart, open our mind. And uh, I have people send me their stories, and I research them, make sure I authenticate them as much as possible, and then I write a story about people who have actually had an angel experience or have had a miracle happen in their life. So this is a collection of um, different uh, people who have had an angel experience or a miracle. Would it be safe to say that this book would be an inspiration to someone who may be struggling in their life? Definitely so. Uh, In reading reviews from um, the other three books, it always says, uh, I was so lonely or I was lost or uh, I had just lost my mother, my husband, my son, my daughter, or whatever. And this book actually gave me a reason for leaving and for um, looking forward to life again. Doesn't that make you feel good? It does. And uh, when I know that it can actually help people, and that's what I want my angel books to do, to let people know um that there is hope out there, even when you think there is nothing out there. And look at you. The fact that not only did you survive the abuse, but you took that and didn't use it as a crutch to be just a victim. You became a survivor, and I think on some level you use that to be a 
of course, a better human being, but to inspire others to be better than where they come from. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping to inspire others to be to be better and to look for the good in other people. So let's now talk about... And, and ladies and gentlemen, I have not had the opportunity to read her angel books yet, but I can I can bet you I am going to buy a couple of them because I know some people that besides me that can use them. And all your books, oh, right? Can be, you. be, you're welcome. But before we forget, all your books are on Amazon, right? Correct. Okay. Before we talk about the Bronson series, what is the What Am I, What Am I children's book? Uh, what it is, is, of course, I have grandkids. And my uh, um, oldest grandkid, who's now 15 years old, when he was a baby, he loved for me to tell him stories. And, and he would say, tell me a story, Grandma. And I'd tell him one, and then I just ran out of stories. So I started making them up. And one day I come home and I said, you know, I could write these stories down. And so one of those stories that I wrote was the book, What Am I? What Am I? And I dedicated it to him. And that's how I began writing a children's picture book. See, ladies and gentlemen, this woman is multi-talented. She not only writes inspiration, she writes children's books. And again, before we get into her other series, she even wrote a book, a horror book, Drum... <laughs> Drums of Gerald Hurd. Tell me about this book. Well, of course, it's uh, paranormal. Paranormal. It's about um, Gerald Hurd, who is an evil man, and he he was born with a strange power, kind of like uh, he could do things with his mind. So everybody was afraid of him, and um, when they grew up, they said, "You know, you cannot be in the town. Just get out of town." And so they start a riot, and Gerald Hurd ends up getting killed. So everybody goes, yay, yay, Gerald Hurd is dead. Now we don't have to worry about him. comes back to haunt everybody who had something to do with his death. So that's the premise for the drums of Gerald Hurd. Okay, so see, she writes horrors. Now we're going to get into the series books of her Harry Bronson character. Now tell me, before we even talk about the series, how did you come up with this guy? I wrote a book. It was called Who's Susan? And Susan's child gets kidnapped. And the mother, Susan, has to go out and look for him. And nobody believes that uh, that uh, she's innocent. Everybody thinks that she's guilty, so it's against all odds. And she has to find somebody to to help her. So this guy at the police department named Harry Bronson uh, helps her out. And um, the two of them end up, of course, finding Teeny and everything works out and they live happily ever after. But Bronson had a tiny little part of the book. He was not the main character. He was the main character. Well, when the reviews were coming out for the book, everybody started saying, I love Bronson. We want to see more of him. I mean, this is really great. Let, let's have a new Bronson book. And I never thought about him as being a serial character. It was a book about Susan. So then after that, I wrote another book, and I put a little bit of Bronson in there. And people said, no, I want more. And then he wrote the third book, and they said, no, we want a full book. And it wasn't until the fifth book, which is why Casey had to die, that I actually made Harry Bronson the main character, and he became, in the fifth book, the real um, hero of the story. So you've now released another one in the series, am I correct? Correct. It's called um, When Memory Fails. And what kind of trouble does Harry Bronson get into into this one? Well, due to the title, of course, Bronson has to help out his nephew and his niece and his uh, girlfriend, and they're going to go find a um, a ledger that has been buried, and he has all sorts of secrets that would destroy a very powerful uh, mafia-type family. 
as they're doing this, Harry Bronson um, goes into a house to save a man, and the house explodes. When he comes to, he has completely lost his memory. He doesn't know who he is, where he is. So if uh, the story is, is he going to be able to regain his memory in time to help his nephew and his daughter or his girlfriend, or has somebody finally got the best of Harry Bronson? Yeah, I definitely got to read those. I'm putting those on my to-read list. Now, it's got you have, super, super reviews. Oh, and that I, one was a Reader's Choice Award. See, you're just so talented. I am so proud of you. You adopted you adopted America's your country. You're out of the gate running. And ladies and gentlemen, when somebody says that you cannot fulfill your dream in America, listen to this beautiful woman because, yes, you can. She's done it. Definitely. Amy Brent. Hang on to your dreams. Don't let them go. Because nobody can steal it without your permission. True. Now, you've got an Amy Brent series. I just pulled this series up, and it looks interesting. Vengeance in my heart. Amy strongly suspects her father killed her mother. Now, that just got my interest. Yes, it does. It's a... um, it is, she's a reporter for the Lake Tahoe newspaper in Nevada, and so she gets into all sorts of uh, troubles as a reporter, and, of course, she goes from place to place um, doing her stories and investigating them and, and stuff like this. Um, this one is not so much of a thriller as a Harry Bronson uh, romantic suspense uh, type, so it's, uh, um, it's just a romantic suspense rather than a thriller series. Well, and there's two in the series, ladies and gentlemen. It's called Vengeance in My Heart, and the second one is Ill-Conceived. Are you going to be doing more with Miss Amy Brent? I plan to, definitely. And I've been having a lot of people asking me, hey, when are you doing another Amy Brent series uh, book? And uh, I already have a plot for it, an idea. So, you know, and after oh, and working you- with Harry Brunson so much, it's nice to take a break and work on somebody else so that it doesn't, you don't always have, you know, sometimes authors get caught up into the same plot, the same ideas, the same presentations, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't want that to happen. That's why you introduce a different character. And you bring up a very good point because in, again, ladies and gentlemen, as a, as traditional authors in, in, I, I know from years of reading and, and years of experience of watching these authors, nine times out of ten, a traditional author has to put out four books a year. Well, when you are put under that much pressure, after a while, the books all sound alike. They all read alike. The plot line's the same. The setting's the same. The characters the same. The dialogue is even the same. And and you go, I've read this before. You go back and look at the published date, and but it's just been published. But I've read this before, and it's because they are put under so much pressure to grind out books that they don't have the leisure that LC and I and the rest of us Indies have of really putting meat into a book. Am I right, Elsie? That is so true. We don't have that pressure. We can work at our own pace. We can uh, take the books out of publication whenever we want to. We can break them down and add to them or do whatever we want. It is our book. And that's why we love being indie authors. And, And our books don't get hopefully, because like like what you have done, like what others have done, like what I've done, we dare to jump genres. We don't care what kind of genre we write about. It's whatever mood we're in when we sit down in the computer and whichever voice screams the loudest. There you go. That's the way to do it. And In fact, I'm looking at another one of your books. It's called Secret of the Tunnels. It's an Agatha and Watson Award finalist. What is this one about? 
That one is, um, I live in El Paso, Texas, and here in El Paso, Texas, we have a set of tunnels that run throughout a large part of the city and, in fact, go underneath the Rio Grande and goes off into Mexico. And um, the Chinese were the ones that built. So I did a lot of research about the tunnels. And everything that I say about the tunnels is true. The story itself is, of course, uh, made up. But it is, a, it is also a thriller. It's a Connie Weaver thriller. And it's about a woman who lives, uh, her uh, husband is abusive to her, so she tries to leave him. And uh, in order to try to prove to El Paso, because he's Mr. El Paso, it, to prove that he is uh, the bad guy, she... Uh, takes on the tunnels and tries to expose um, his very powerful family. You're just, you are so multi-talented. I'm sitting here looking at a children's book, Puppy Dog and His Bone. That's another children's book, ladies and gentlemen. This woman writes inspiration. She writes thrillers. She writes romance. She writes suspense. She writes children's books. This woman is so multi-talented. You're amazing. Thank you very much for saying that. I only speak the truth, my dear. I only speak the truth. Now, let me ask you something. The the book that we just talked about, are you going to continue with that series as well? I do. I would like to uh, only have one book on that uh, Connie Weaver series, uh, but I would like to do the second one and continue on uh, with that one, too. My biggest love is Harry Bronson. I absolutely love this guy. He is so real to me. So I want to continue doing more and more Harry Bronson. And most of my fans prefer the Harry Bronson to anybody else. They're always asking me for Harry Bronson. So he'll always take the number one seat. But at the same time, I also want to continue to do some more on the Amy Brand and some more on the Connie Weaver. And, uh, of course, my angels are always going to be up there as number ones, too. I will always write a uh, another book in that series. And then, ladies and gentlemen, as if to not have enough that she puts out there, she she put a book out called Help, I Want to Write. Explain to our listeners what this book is about and what they will learn from it, because I, I get this all the time. Well, I want to write. How do I write? Show me how to write. Teach me how to I can't teach anyone how to write. You just sit down and do it. If if you have that that burning desire and that almost obsession, you sit down and write, and then you go back and put in the schematics. Am I right? You're very right. You need to have the desire to go ahead and write that book. Then after you uh, write the book, you have to, quote, do it correctly. You know, proper dialogue, proper viewpoint, uh, motivation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you've got to make sure that your book follows all the traditional patterns of writing. But first, you've got to make sure you want to write that book. And you also have to understand that there is a beginning, a middle, and an end. There is a an introduction, there is conflict, and there is conclusion. Very right? true. Very, very true. And yeah, you have to start out with with the very beginning and carry it on until the end. And a lot of authors have the trouble with the middle because they put everything into the beginning and everything into the end. And then they get to the middle, and it's like, uh, what do I do now? You know? And uh, oh, I so then gave away the plot. I, I, I already gave away the plot. I already gave away the who, what, when, where, and how. How am I going to fix this? And And sometimes you just have to scrap it. And it's okay to go in and start pulling stuff out and rewriting. That's why we rewrite a dozen different times. That's very true. And that is what writing is. Writing is rewriting. 
nobody ever gets it right that first time around. No, they don't. And, and it, even with my editors, when I send my books out to my editor, she'll come in and she said, Yvonne, and, and I, I've gone through the book several times before I ever send it to her. She'll say, Yvonne, did you mean to write this sentence this way? And she'll read it to me, and I go, what? That's not what I wrote. She said, oh, yeah, I'm looking at it. That's not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're so close to it. You know exactly what it's supposed to say, and you read it, that's what he's supposed to say, not what he really said. And and it, and I do that all the time. And and I even when I'm when I'm writing, of course, my fingers are flying and my brain's going, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. So in my mind, I have written what my mind is saying. But I go back and look at it, and I'm thinking, what dribble is this? I did not write that, and 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 my fingers are going, oh, but you did. You did. You know you did. And my brain's going, no, she didn't. And we have this internal conflict <laughs> about who's right and who's wrong. <laughs> yeah, that happened. That definitely happened. Do you do you have the same problem I do with when you sit down to start a new story and, and you know in your mind how you want to write the story? You have this, this mental outline in your mind, and then once you start getting into the story, all of a sudden your character's going, but no, that's not where we're going with this. I want it to say this, and if you try to write it the way your mental outline is going, it just won't flow right. Yeah, that's happened, and in fact, one time I was – I knew who the bad guy was going to be, so of course I planted all the little hints from the very beginning as to why this guy is a bad guy, et cetera, et cetera. And at the very end of the book, it's going to be a big surprise. Um, well, the surprise was for me because it turned out he was not really the bad guy. He was somebody else. And it was a shock to me because all this time I had thought of him as the bad guy. That happened to me with a short story I just submitted for an anthology. I started the short story, I had the principal characters, and I kind of knew who the perpetrator was going to be. And as the story went on, this voice kept saying, oh, but no, you're even going to be surprised. Just watch. Just keep typing, but don't pay attention. Just don't, just don't look. Just keep typing because you're going to, and sure enough, out of the blue, this character rears their head and says, here I am, I'm your bad guy. And I went, wait, that's not the way that was supposed to end. (laughs) But, you know, that's what makes writing so much fun, because if it surprises you, you know it's going to surprise the reader. In fact, my friend who who is um, also an editor, she read it, and she said, Yvonne, that came out of nowhere. I said, tell me about it. And I wrote the silly thing. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I was not expecting that. And I said, me either. It happens. I spent I spent two weeks one time working on a book. It was a, a historical fiction. And I had it in my head how I was going to write it. I had it all laid out in my head. I had it all planned out in my head. And I sat down to write it. And the, the main character goes, watch this. And I go, no, we're going this way. And the kept mm, if you go that way, I'm not speaking and you're not writing. We'll sit here all day. I said, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, you had to give in. <laughs> I did because I didn't want to sit here all day and look at a blank screen. But do you <laughs> find your characters are, are just, you get so into your characters that they're they're like they're sitting next to you. Oh, yes. And in fact, whenever somebody talks about writer's block, they say, well, how can I get rid of my writer's block? I'd say, interview your character. Just talk to him, you know, and talk to him and you'll be surprised how much that gets you over that writer's block because it's his story. It's not your story. It is the character's story. Exactly. And and this is is what people that, that ask us, how do you write? I want to write. Teach me how to write. This is what I ask them is, do you have voices in your head? And they look at me like, okay, where is this going and where are the men in the white coats? Because obviously she's demented. <laughs> but we're not demented. 
as we are. But, but the, our characters are real. They definitely are. I mean, I like for Harry Bronson and my other characters too, but mainly Harry Bronson. I just feel that they he is so real that I know exactly what he would say, what he would do, what he would think, um, anytime, any place. And I bet if you tried typing something that he wouldn't do, he'd shut you down quick, fast, and in a hurry. Definitely so. He'll have the final voice. I get so aggravated at him because even my own children never had the final word. (laughs) (laughs) But my characters do. Oh, yes, here they're coming. Take over us. (laughs) They do. They really, really do. I've woken up in the middle of the night with them having fights in my head. And and there was a book that I wanted to write. I, I had planned this book out and planned this book out. And then all of a sudden this voice goes, Oh, no, you're not writing that one today, honey. You're writing this one. And I'm going, I don't want to write you yet. Oh, but you are because I've put those babies to bed. You're not writing this one yet. Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) You win. I I give up. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's a writer's life. It is the writer's life. And and now my, my artwork, is doing the same thing to me. I want to paint a picture a certain way, and, and the brush gets in my hand, and, and my hands go, oh, no, brain, shut down. The, I'm taking over. So the visual that I have in my head is not always what comes out on the canvas. I give up. I, I have all these well, people. <laughs> and it turns out beautifully. That's what counts. That's the bottom I, line I think, for everything. And and Elsie, would it would it be safe to say that the number one rule in any of the art that we do, whether it's painting, whether it's photography, whether it's writing, is don't overthink it. Very much so. I definitely agree with you on that statement. We have about two and a half minutes left, if you can believe it. Our hour's almost up. Wow. And it goes by fast, doesn't it? What, it sure does. What advice do you have for our listening audience? If you're a writer, don't ever, ever give up. No matter what people tell you, no matter what, believe in yourself and get it out there. If you're a reader, get her books. Absolutely. And, and get Elsie's books. Get Go buy her books because you will not be sorry. I promise you, you will not be sorry. She is absolutely amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, we will have another show on Wednesday night with uh, Richard Lynch. No, actually, we will not have another show until the 18th with Richard Lynch. He is an independent music artist. He came on this show. I told him he was going to do great things a couple of years ago, and the man has exploded on the country music scene, and we will be talking to him. That's on May the 18th, the day after my birthday at 9 o'clock. Please be sure and join us. And understand that Elsie's books are all on Amazon. Please go and support indie authors because – We have to overcome obstacles that the traditional artists do not, but we are here for the long haul. We have broken a glass ceiling, and we are never, ever, ever turning back. We support new authors. We support their dream. And if you will go on to Facebook and friend Elsie, it's L.C.Hayden. H-A-Y-D-E-N, and she will be more than happy to bring you into her circle, and then you'll get all the updates and all the good stuff she's doing. Elsie, thank you, my dear, for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me, and happy early birthday. Thank you. Will you come back? I surely will. It is absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. You and thank you to all the listeners for tuning in. Absolutely, and thank you for saying, Yvonne, I want to be on your show. I have a new book out. 
I always want to be on your show. You are so super. Well, thank you, Charlie. So we are about to go dark. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason. Join me again on May the 18th at 9 o'clock with my guest music artist, Richard Lynch. Have a good week. Stay safe. And we are now off the air, my dear, so I am going to let you go. But I am going to tell you, once this thing uploads into the archives, I will put it on my page. I will tag you in it, and you share it all over the place so folks can listen about all your good things. Fantastic. Thank you so much, and thank you for being such a great host. Thank you, my darling, for for coming on. I enjoyed it. It was so much fun. All righty, you take care, and I'm going to tune in to to Richard. It sounds really good. Okay, I'll put it up. All righty, we'll see you then. Okay, good night. Good night.